With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. going to be a quarterback battle after all in Norman starting this spring actually starting right now as the spring semester gets ready to start but whoever that quarterback is is going to have a brand new target to throw to in the form of Theo Howard a grad transfer from UCLA what's up everybody I'm Matt Hofeld this is another episode of the Sooner Nation podcast the online podcast for Heartland Sports heartland-sports.com Lots going on in Norman. Basketball rolling right now. Uh, spring sports, softball, baseball getting ready to start. The women's softball team. You know, it's interesting that we say women's softball team because there's only one softball team in Norman. But um, unanimously voted by opposing coaches as the top team in the Big 12. Fourth consecutive year that has happened. Patty Gasso's vote goes to Oklahoma State. And this is not at all a podcast previewing softball but I will tell you I think Oklahoma State's going to be pretty salty this year a team that made it to the College World Series last year Um, if someone in my opinion if someone is going to end Oklahoma's undefeated conference streak going on two years now this will be the third year of Oklahoma not having lost a conference game if someone's going to beat that streak I think it's going to be Oklahoma State but there's a lot a long, long time before we even get to that. Let's start with quarterback position. Let's start with Tanner Mordecai making the decision, making the announcement that he's coming back to Norman for sure. All the uh, speculation, all the rumors when Spencer Rattler went into the garbage time of the Peach Bowl, Tanner Mordecai's face was broadcast nationally, did not look happy. But there's Mordecai saying, nope, I'm not going anywhere. I'm coming back and I'm going to compete. Now, I know a lot of people, including myself, said Mordecai's gone. Now, I will say this. I said he's gone after the spring. So I don't think I'm officially wrong just yet. But kudos to the kid for saying, look, I'm here. I'm here to battle. I want to compete with Spencer Rattler. I know Spencer Rattler. I'm older than Spencer Rattler. I think I can beat him. So kudos to Tanner Mordecai for jumping in here and taking on this task. But I'm curious to see five months from now, as we're getting ready to go into the summer, where's Tanner Mordecai going to be then? Because we're officially going to call this thing a quarterback battle. And that's, I mean, I guess that's what it is. And and look, you you, you can go to recruiting rankings and you can see Tanner Mordecai, a four-star Recruit, Baylor wanted Tanner Mordecai, 18 scholarship offers. So other than Oklahoma, 17 other schools wanted him. The number 11 dual threat quarterback in the country, 33rd rated player out of the state of Texas. People wanted him. 
He's got a good frame, six, almost 6'3", 215 pounds. People wanted this kid to come play for their school. So it's not like Spencer Rattler has to go in there and beat a walk-on. I mean, Mordecai's got some experience on him, particularly with Lincoln Riley, particularly with, with this program. And what Lincoln Riley does offensively seems to morph every year based off of who the quarterback is. But the, the, the foundation of the offense is the same. In other words, they're going to run the same play, but they're going to run it from different formations based on the quarterback. So when you've got a guy like Kyler Murray with four sub 4-4 four, four speed, it seems like, you have a little bit more zone read options. You have a little bit more quarterback draw options. As opposed to a guy like Baker Mayfield, who's got pinpoint accuracy, keeps his head downfield, is, is not as much of a runner as he is a scrambler in extending plays. So you're going to have two different offenses for those guys. Throw in Jalen Hurts, a big bruising type running quarterback, who's a better runner than he is a, a, a distance passer. So that offense is going to morph based off of sets and formations, but the fundamentals of the play are going to be the same. So a guy like Tanner Mordecai knows those fundamentals potentially better than the dude who's perceived to be the better of the two athletes. Spencer Rattler was a five-star quarterback prospect. He was the number one pro-style prospect in the country the number one rated prospect out of the state of Arizona. Alabama wanted Spencer Rattler. Oklahoma wanted Spencer Rattler. The, the list goes on and on. Now, he only had 14 scholarship offers because everybody knew he was coming to Norman. That didn't stop Notre Dame from offering. That didn't stop Texas. Didn't stop Texas A&M. And that list goes on. But here's the deal. You don't win a quarterback battle based off of your recruiting profile. You win a quarterback battle based off of what you do on the field. And that's where this, you can't see me, but I'm using air quotes. That's where this quarterback competition is moving to next. Who would look better in the spring once they have control of the offense? My money's on Spencer Rattler. And I, look, I, if Tanner Mordecai wins this job, more power to him. I will be the biggest Tanner Mordecai fan out there. But what you, you saw what I saw. Spencer Rattler, the guy's the real deal. He only played in three games. Only completed, only completed seven passes. But he looked pretty good doing it. We saw him against South Dakota. That's the most um, time really he had. Was four for four in that game in his debut. We saw him against Texas Tech, four for two for four. We saw him against LSU, one for three. But he just he just has this presence about him, and this I mean it's almost like a quiet and calm confidence. Like I, Spencer Rattler takes the field and you don't feel like he has anything to prove. 
You don't feel like there's any pressure on him. You don't feel like he's pressing, so to speak, to make an impression. And I do get that feeling when I watch Tanner Mordecai. Fair or not, I get that feeling. Now, we did see Tanner Mordecai in, in like six games this season. He threw two touchdown passes. But I just, look, this, this team, here's, here's what you're going to want to see more than the, what I mean, because you're going to get a very limited preview of these two guys in the spring game. And that's just the way it is. And you're going to hear Lincoln Riley. We've, we've talked about this. You're going to hear Lincoln Riley talk about how this quarterback battle is playing out. They're neck and neck. It's hard to tell who's who. But look at what the players say. Look at when you're at the spring game, which I encourage you to go. It's always a fun event. I could skip the concert, which I typically do. But when you're at the spring game, pay attention. Who do the players rally behind? When when you're reading the comments, post-practice comments, post-scrimmage comments, what are they saying about the two quarterbacks? The question is going to be, who has this locker room? And that's how you can tell who the winner of this quarterback competition is going to be. That's how you knew it was going to be Kyler Murray. I mean, it wasn't anything disparaging against Austin Kendall, but Kyler Murray had the locker room. And the reason why Kyler Murray had the locker room was because he was the better of the two quarterbacks. And the players realized that. And he took the leadership role from day one, from day one. The minute he got on campus, Jalen Hurts had the locker room. Why? Because the players looked at him and they knew this is the guy. And from my experience and what I've seen and what I know of this program, that's the exact same situation with Tanner Mordecai and Spencer Rattler. Everybody likes Tanner Mordecai. He's been around. He has talent. But Spencer Rattler has this locker room right now. Will that change in the spring? And if it doesn't change, which I don't believe it will, if it doesn't change, where's Tanner Mordecai going to be in June? Is he going to stick through a quarterback battle over the summer that he knows he's losing? Or is he just going to cut his losses, possibly be an, an early graduate transfer, and go somewhere where he has a better chance to play? Because here's the thing, if Spencer Rattler wins this job, Tanner Mordecai, barring injury, Tanner Mordecai is never playing for the University of Oklahoma because it's going to be a three-year job for Spencer Rattler. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, regardless of whoever wins this quarterback job for Oklahoma, they're going to have a new weapon at their disposal 
and graduate transfer Theo Howard. This is a story that we had on Heartland Sports a few days ago. We had, honestly, we had more information than what we published. We had information at the time that he had already enrolled at Oklahoma, was going to be a part of this team for spring ball, and then obviously through the summer, and then um, his fourth year of eligibility coming in Norman for 2020. Now, we, we had more information, again, that, that we were able to publish at the time. But the reality is, this is a huge grab for Lincoln Riley's offense and for the Oklahoma Sooners. You've got a guy who's got track speed. They say he's 4-4. Some people say he's sub 4-4. He's experienced. He's been in college for four years. He's got three years playing time. Played in seven games as a true freshman. In 2017, as a sophomore, he played in 13 games. 2018, he played in 12 games, and then he set out the 2019 season, ultimately seeking a transfer as a graduate. Averages 11.2 yards per reception throughout his three-year season, or three seasons at UCLA. Nine total touchdowns. But you saw him really stretch the field in 2018. And Oklahoma fans will remember that game against UCLA in Norman. He had a huge catch in that game. And I want to say it was Trey Brown on the coverage. I'm not 100% sure. You'd have to go back and look at the highlight. But I, I want to say it was Trey Brown who was covering. But it's right at the, at the front pylon. I, I don't think it was ruled a touchdown, but it was it was definitely ruled. Maybe it was ruled a touchdown. I Maybe it was just first and goal inside the one. But go back and look. I'm, I'm sure it won't be hard to find that play. But what he gives Oklahoma is a seasoned veteran who has speed and the ability to stretch the field. And that's huge. He's not a big guy. He's not a big body receiver. I think he's six foot, around 185 pounds. 180 to 185 pounds. So he's not a big body guy. But he he's that guy that you don't want to lose him down the seam. He can move to the outside because of his speed. And he creates a, a, a vertical threat for Oklahoma's quarterback. Now, what struck me as, as interesting with Theo Howard was the, the reaction... When we first published this, the reaction on social media, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm searching for words to describe. The reaction wasn't positive. There, there wasn't a, a lot of people going, "Wow, yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's, that's a good grab." Wow, yeah, there, it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. And we published this on January third. I, I do like occasionally to kind of pat ourselves on the back. I think we were probably one of the first outlets to publish this. And may, maybe it's the way we worded the, the title, but it's truth. I mean, we worded the title that Theo Howard could fill a void in Oklahoma's receiving core. And the whole point was, he gives Oklahoma football something that they don't have. 
and which is veteran senior leadership. When you look at this roster and you look at the receivers that Oklahoma has in 2020, 100% they're talented. No way I'll ever say anything different. 100% talented. But are they experienced? CeeDee Lamb's gone. That means Charleston Rambo will be going into his redshirt junior year as your most experienced receiver. And I think people kind of saw this in two different ways. They, they saw it either as a knock against this talented group of receivers that Oklahoma has, but they're young, talented, but young. They saw it as a knock against Theo Wees and Jaden Hazelwood, you know, Austin Stogner. They, they saw it as a knock against those guys, or they saw it as a waste because what we really need are defensive backs. Well, first of all, let's start with the, the let's start with the receivers. Let's start with the young guys. Count count receivers for me, okay? Trajan Bridges, Theo Weese, Jaden Hazelwood, Drake Stoops, Charleston Rambo, Austin Stogner. Those are all scholarship guys. And there's six of them. Guess what? One of those six, and you know which one, I don't have to mention names here. One of those six is going to miss almost half of the season. One of them is going to miss five games next season. So if you're six scholarship receivers, by the way, none of them are seniors. Your oldest one's going to be a junior. One of them's going to be gone for five games. That leaves you five scholarship receivers. What happens when you need to run a five receiver set and someone's winded? What happens when you need to run a five receiver set and someone's tweaked an ankle? I mean, there, there are so many reasons why adding Theo Howard is a good thing for this Oklahoma football team. And, and, and adding a senior veteran that can stretch the field, that has track speed, it can't, you, it can't be anything other than good. It doesn't have to be a knock against your young talent. It doesn't have to say what, you know, Jaden Hazelwood's not good enough. That's not at all what it's saying. It's saying that there's a void in senior veteran leadership. And here's a guy who can fix it. And not only can he fix it, but he can stretch the field. I mean, if, if I'm one of these young guys, kind of got a little taste of success as my as a freshman, got to got to see the big stage in the college football playoff. I want more of that. I want to do whatever it takes to get me there. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do with Theo Howard exactly what I did with CeeDee Lamb. I'm going to sit next to him in the position meetings. I'm going to sit next to him watching film. I'm going to run my routes in practice when we do the passing tree pregame, pre-practice. I'm going to go right after him so I can mimic and watch everything he does because I want to learn from him. I want to be better at what I do. Does Oklahoma have a need in the secondary? 100% absolutely. Not only is there a need in the secondary, there's a big need in the secondary. 
That was put on full blast, full display for the world to see in the Peach Bowl. But does that mean you pass up on Theo Howard? Does the failure of Justin Broyles in the Peach Bowl, does the ejection of Buki Radley Hiles in the Peach Bowl, does the broken collarbone of Delarian Turner Yale prior to the Peach Bowl, does all that mean you pass up on Theo Howard? No. It, it doesn't mean that at all. Of course you're going to keep recruiting talent in your secondary. Of course you're going to keep trying to improve the guys. I still, I, hey, look, I, I, I still think there's hope for Justin Broyles. I don't think any reasonable Oklahoma football fan has closed the door on Justin Broyles. I mean, why would you? You you look at at Oklahoma's defensive coaches. You look at this this team and, and take take um take Parnell Motley for example. Parnell Motley is a guy that in 2018. I think a lot of Oklahoma fans were okay if he didn't touch the field in 2019. That's how bad Parnell Motley had been. He's the guy that was often victimized in this secondary. Sometimes it was legitimate, just out of position, out of place. And sometimes it was just great plays by the the receiver, a great throw by the quarterback. But Parnell Motley is a guy that Oklahoma fans thought you know what? If he doesn't, if he doesn't touch the field in 2019, I'll be okay with that. Parnell Motley was your best cover guy in 2019. Parnell Motley was probably your most improved defender in 2019. Look at Buki. Dumb, 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 dumb play in the Peach Bowl to get ejected. But here's a guy who was yanked off the field by the coaches in the season finale at West Virginia in 2018. Terrible fundamentals. Seemed to be a terrible football IQ. And look at the transition from 2018 to 2019. It, it hurt when he got ejected. But... This is also a secondary that's going to get a guy like Trey Norwood back in 2020. You got guys, Robert Barnes. There, there are more bodies available in 2020, even losing a guy like Parnell Motley to graduation. There will be more bodies available in 2020 than there were in 2019. That's good news. Secondary needs help. We've been saying that all along. We said when when Alex Grinch came, we said that, hey, this got to have a personnel turnover. Got to have a, a, you know, a whole new mindset. And that begins by changing personnel. And I think in time we're going to see that. But there was enough, there was enough visual evidence in 2019 to let you know that Alex Grinch has this team going in the right direction. And you got more bodies to work with in 2020. So why are we going to take the time and complain about Theo Howard joining the offense? 
The only thing that says to me is that right now, Sooner Nation's in a bad spot. We're hurt over this loss. That we'd actually be upset about the offense adding another key figure. Doesn't make sense to me. We'll have to spend some more time talking about Oklahoma basketball on the next episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Because by the time you listen to this episode, Oklahoma would have already played Iowa State. So I don't want to say too much at this point, just because that Iowa State game is looming. And and again, I don't want you to listen to something and have Iowa State change all that one way or the other. I will I will tell you this though. I will say this about Oklahoma basketball. At 11 and 3, 2 and 0 in the conference, they're they're pretty much playing on house money right now. Particularly if they get this win in Ames, Iowa. I I, I said this and I think a lot of people agreed with me. There were some skeptics out there. And obviously there's still, I mean you're, you're only two games into conference play, so there's a, there's a lot to play for still. But this is a team that's better than what they were picked to finish in the Big 12. And I think they're they're proving that. You know, you got the win against Kansas State and Norman. You go on you go on the road to Texas, and that's where you start playing with house money. You, you get the 10-point win in Texas, and now you're going to Ames, Iowa to play a seven and seven Iowa State team that, by the way, has lost four of their last five games. Why Oklahoma is currently on a four-game winning streak. And, and you look at this, then this is what I mean, and we'll close out. I'll, again, I'll talk more basketball later on, but you, you look at this and you think, okay, you, you want to make the NCAA tournament. You want to get the 19 or 20 wins. I, I think the Big 12 is in such a way this season that you could probably get there off of 19 wins. If you're 500 or better in conference play. Now for Oklahoma to do that, you, you got to win the games you're supposed to win, right? I mean, that just makes sense. That means you got to protect your home court. Now Oklahoma's only played one game on the home court. The next time they take the home court is against the Kansas Jayhawks. And everybody knows, everybody expects that's going to be an uphill battle. Kansas, one of the best teams in the country. But you look at the Big 12, and you've got Kansas and Baylor both in the top five. You've got West Virginia, Texas Tech, top 20 teams. This is a deep basketball conference. And you think, okay, there's probably three teams. Just being real, there's probably three teams that are going to beat you on your home court. There's three games you look at and you think, man, I don't know if we can beat them. You, you want to. And, and as a guy who covers the team and as a fan of the team, you want to say, yeah, I'm wrong about that. But there's three teams. You, you, you look at Baylor. You look at Kansas. And you look at Texas Tech. And you think, gosh, they're going to be really hard to beat. And West Virginia, I mean, if West Virginia can figure out the offensive half of their game, they're going to be pretty hard to beat as well. But I mean, right now, the, the, Oklahoma State was like one for 20 from three-point range. That's a that's an amazing stat right there. One for 20, three-point range. And they only lost by 14 points because right now, West Virginia is inept offensively. They're really, really good defensively. They're going to make a lot of, force you into a lot of turnovers. They're going to crash the boards, but they're not going to score a ton of points either. 
So I say, yeah, you're probably odds are against you against West Virginia. I don't know that I'm counting them as a for sure loss. Here's the point I'm making. For those losses that you're going to have at home, you've got to pick one up on the road. They've already got one at Texas. If they can get this at Iowa State, that's huge. And you got to think, and here's what you look at with Texas and Iowa State. If you beat them on the road, that means you're probably should be most likely going to be a favorite at home. You're just collecting wins. You're playing on house money. So if you lose to Kansas this week, like everyone expects them to do, it doesn't quite sting as much because you've already beaten Texas on the road. And the next time you play the Longhorns, it'll be in Lloyd Noble. You see what I'm saying? House money. It it washes out. Again, we'll talk more Oklahoma basketball later on in the next episode because we'll have some fresh information and won't be right on the cusp of a big game. All right, let's close this episode out by spending our last 10 or 15 minutes talking about Alex Grinch. Should Oklahoma fans be concerned that Alex Grinch is one of the candidates for the head coaching job at Washington State? The short answer here is, in my opinion, no. Now, we get, let's fill in the blanks. Let's fill in the gaps here. Mike Leach leaves Washington State, becomes the next head coach at Mississippi State, leaving a vacancy in Pullman, Washington, where Alex Grinch once served as the defensive coordinator. Now, I've got a couple reasons, a couple factors here that would lead me to believe Alex Grinch is not a serious candidate here, and even if he were, I don't think he would take the job. Here's why I don't think he's a serious candidate. Not that, now don't, don't send me tweets and messages and Facebook posts saying I'm dogging Alex Grinch. I'm not saying that he's not deserving to be a serious candidate. I just don't think he is. Unless Washington State wants to take a, a, a drastic, they want to make a drastic overhaul in who they are. Okay, maybe you look at a guy like Alex Grinch. But the think about when Mike Leach left Texas Tech. They went to Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville wasn't Mike Leach. So they went to an offensive guy in Cleve Kingsbury because that was the identity of Texas Tech. Offensive guy. We want, to, we, want to, we want to throw the ball around the yard. We want to break records. We want to win those track meet style games. And Leach had a fair amount of success. Enough success that the SEC came calling. I don't think Washington State wants to change the identity of who they are, particularly when you look at the personnel that they have. The player personnel is fitted for a Mike Leach-style offense and a Mike Leach-style team. To go get a guy like Alex Grinch means Alex Grinch is going to have to go find somebody from that type of coaching tree, that old Hal Mummy coaching tree that included guys like Mike Leach, Included guys like, you know, all the way down, Mike Leach, disciple Cliff Kingsbury, disciple Lincoln Riley. They have to go find somebody 
to serve as a coordinator, not a head coach, but a coordinator. It's much easier to find that guy and give him the keys to the Cadillac as opposed to putting him right in shotgun. So that that's the first reason why I, I don't think Alex Grinch is a serious candidate for the Washington State job. But a second reason is this. I mean, he left Washington State not to come to Oklahoma. Now, follow this. He, he was the defensive coordinator and the defensive backs coach at Washington State. He served on that staff from 2015 to 2017, and then he left where he was the defensive coordinator. He was the guy. He left to become to become the co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State, even as much as he didn't call the shots. He helped with the game planning. He helped with the schemes. He helped coach up the positions, but on game day, he was not the guy who called the shots. What that tells me is this. It's probably not a a lot of love lost for Pullman, Washington. There was a reason he wanted out. Maybe a step up from program prestige. I don't know. We do know he was in Ohio State one season, And what he produced at Oklahoma as the defensive coordinator was better than what we saw during his 2018 stint where he wasn't playing, calling the plays at Ohio State. But he, it's important to note, in my opinion, when you're, when you're breaking this situation down, it is important to note that Alex Grinch left a job where he was the defensive coordinator for a job where he was the co-defensive coordinator. Newsflash. I mean, in case you're not privy to this, you don't want to be the co-anything. You want to be the guy. You don't want to be the co-offensive coordinator, especially if you're not calling the shots. And you don't want to be the co-defensive coordinator. Why did it not work with Brent Venables and Mike Stoops? Because they, you know... Mike Stoops left. Brent Venables was the defensive coordinator. And when Mike Stoops came back, Brent Venables went from being the defensive coordinator to the co-defensive coordinator. That doesn't make it appear as if you're doing a great job. That doesn't make it appear as if you're capable of doing everything on your own. He went from that situation where he was the guy doing the job He was the guy who turned around the Washington State defense and helped Mike Leach become a contender in the Pac-12 to a guy who was the co-defensive coordinator in Columbus. I don't think Alex Grinch is in a hurry to go back to Pullman, Washington. So even if you were to be a legitimate candidate for that job, I think he's... I think he's the... The, the pick that everyone wants to talk about be, because people want, people are looking for a reason to end Oklahoma's reign on the Big 12. That's why the Alex Grinch rumors to Washington are very similar to the Lincoln Riley rumors to the Dallas Cowboys. 
Lincoln Riley was never a candidate for the Dallas Cowboys. He said that. He said he didn't want to coach in the NFL at this point. Now, he, did, he didn't slam the door shut. He maybe left it propped open for what he says. Sometime down the road, I might change my mind. But right now, this is where I want to be. He said that after the 2018 season, he echoed those sentiments after the Peach Bowl last month. Lincoln Riley was never going to be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, but that didn't stop people from talking about it on the radio and television and writing about it. I doubt very seriously Alex Grinch is going to be the next head coach at Washington State University. But it's fun to talk about for two reasons. Because it makes people look I guess that's one reason, but if here <laughs> I'll break it down into two. If you're an Oklahoma fan, you're like, oh no, no, we can't lose Alex Grinch. We just got our defense moving in the right direction. The rebuild is not finished. Phase two happens this year. He's getting more of his guys in there. The top two defensive tackles, Juco defensive cat tackles, and the nation are coming to Norman. Oh no, we can't lose him. To the other extreme is, those clad in burnt orange or Halloween orange and black are saying, oh, please lose him. Yeah, take him, Washington State. You want him. The same reason why Tom Herman's telling recruits that Alex Grinch is going to the NFL is the same reason why all the Texas fans and all the Oklahoma State fans and all the Baylor fans, it's why they're all clamoring for Oklahoma, for something to happen to this Oklahoma team, this Oklahoma coaching staff that will help turn the tide. And, and here's the thing, and, and all of this, what was overlooked in all of this was the guy heading to the NFL was obvious in the Big 12. It was always Matt Rule. That guy had NFL written all over him from day one. He arrives in Waco, you look at him and say, that's an NFL guy. I've said it. I mean, this isn't hindsight talking. This Go back and listen. Go back and read at heartland-sports.com. You'll find I have said from day one, Matt Rule is an NFL guy. Now, I was wrong. I, I really thought he was going to the New York Giants. That's where he came from. He New York Giants guy. And the team loved him, by the way. But And all the talk about Lincoln Riley going to the Dallas Cowboys what was really right there in front of everybody was that Matt Rule was going to the NFL. I said that at the Big 12 championship game, if I'm Jerry Jones, after this game, I want to get one of these two coaches and talk to him. I'm going to the Baylor sideline, not the Oklahoma sideline. Lincoln Riley's built as, an, as a college football coach. You look at him, you listen to him, he's college football across the board. Matt Rule is built as an NFL coach. You look at him, you listen to him, you see him, and you see NFL. But we're going to ignore that, and we're going to talk about Lincoln Riley to the Dallas Cowboys because it gets people to listen, gets people to tune in, gets people to read, it gets people to click. And that's what's going on with Alex Grinch. You write a headline, a sexy headline. This is Alex Grinch, top candidate for Washington State. He's not. 
but people are going to listen, people are going to read, people are going to click. And for that reason, I'm telling you, I don't think you have to worry about Alex Grinch going anywhere this season. Now, Alex Grinch has to make a decision at some point because he's in the position where he can be like a Brent Venables, the Clemson version of Brent Venables, where he can be that top paid assistant. He can be that guy that everyone talks about, the, the good recruiter, the defensive genius. I mean, think about it. Everybody, everybody had Ohio State. How, how's Clemson going to stop Ohio State? They did a pretty good job. Sealed the game with an interception. Brent Venables likes where he is in Clemson. He makes a lot of money where he is at Clemson. He's made the decision that this is home for me right now. Alex Grinch is going to have to make a decision similar to that. Because I do think ultimately the right situation is going to come along. This guy, he's had two stints at Missouri. He's been to Washington State. He's been to Ohio State. He's at Oklahoma right now. The situation will come along at some point that I believe will kind of get his attention and get him to listen. Unless he wants to be a a Brent Venables kind of guy. The guy who's really good friends with the head coach. The guy has a really good job at recruiting and can put together a defensive game plan that stops just about any offensive faces. Alex Grinch can be that guy at Oklahoma if he chooses to be. I don't think we worry about this summer. I don't think we worry about this offseason. But if Oklahoma makes strides and makes improvements in 2020 like they did in 2019, then 2021, I really do believe at that point, that's when Alex Grinch is going to have a decision to make. And that's when I think Oklahoma and its fans need to be on guard just a little bit. Hey, thanks so much for listening and being part of the Sooner Nation podcast. Um, shout out to my boy Rich, flying solo right now. Um, you can check us out on Twitter, at Sports Heartland, on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. You can also uh, hit us up at heartland-sports.com and read our content. We would love to hear feedback from you. You can email us, heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. Uh, thanks for listening. If you're catching us on Apple Podcasts, if you're catching us on Spotify, uh, if you're catching us on TuneIn, wherever you're getting us, Thanks so much for listening, and please, uh, if you don't mind, take the three extra seconds and leave us a positive rating. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Boomer Sooner.